0: Hi, friends, welcome to Unstoppable Truth. My guest today is a Hollywood filmmaker, author, actor, public speaker, and truth seeker. It is my incredible pleasure to introduce Mr. Sean Stone. How are you, Sean? It's so cool to see you, to meet you, and to have this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and, uh, and chat.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. You know, life is uh life is beautiful here. You can see from the palm trees and the sun.
0: Tell everybody where you are at, Sean.
1: Uh well I'm in Florida.
0: In Florida. I mean, it's uh you you've had a really positive experience. I would say more positive experience the last three years down there, haven't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been good. I've been here since 2021. So just under two years here and uh yeah life's pretty uh pretty normal and pretty normal overall it's like a, they say like it's a chill vibe, you know, it's a pretty relaxed vibe.
0: That's good. Yeah. Sean, I wanna go back um to your childhood because you know, I think just if people can connect the name here, you've grown up in Hollywood having a dad for a film director, producer, screenwriter this is, is, is pretty, pretty incredible, pretty special. Can you talk a little bit about your childhood and growing up in Hollywood around all of uh, that excitement? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I, you know, I don't consider myself growing up in Hollywood in any sense. I mean, uh, I never lived in LA proper. I was, we lived in the West side near the, near the water. And um, you know, my dad wasn't like a Hollywood studio kind of guy. I mean, we, we traveled the world, uh, you know, as a kid on film sets and, you know, they were shooting in Dallas or Louisiana or uh, Thailand or uh, Philippines, I mean, you know, New York, all these different places. So it wasn't like I was just like hanging out in Hollywood. No, my life in, L- in Santa Monica was very normal, go to school, go to, you know, the gym, gymnastics, gymnastics classes, classes or football or baseball or, you know, all these different, you know, things, after school activities and stuff. And then, you know, when you're, yeah, when it was nice enough to like be able to go and be on film sets for a few months here and there or a few weeks, but, um, depending on the schedule. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like Hollywood, you know, it wasn't like a, some kind of Hollywood TV show. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's interesting cuz I'm a mom and my kids to my children I'm just mom right? And to a, when we go out in public, you know, everyone goes, "Oh, they're so excited to to meet an Olympic champion and they make a big deal about it, but to my children I'm just mom." So this is basically how you grew up, right? You you were all around these celebrities, these actors, these filmmakers and and yet that was just your life. But it's pretty cool that your your parents allowed you to have a normal life too. So that's that's really great. What was yeah. it like for you, though, um, or what did I guess? What I want to ask is the film industry when you were a child growing up and what you saw compared to what it is today. How had how has it changed?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, so again, I mean, the film. You know, the the thing is that again, I've always understood film as a business and as a work, you know, as a job, in ways that. I guess you know most people don't. The same with you. I mean, you know, you talk about like, oh, I see you at the Olympics, and it's like that's, that's the, the highlight, highlight right? right? They don't see the thousands of hours of work that you're putting in, right? And the, and and the just yeah, all the just the daily routine of going to work,
0: mm-hmm. putting
1: in the, putting in the work. That's just everything in life, right? I mean, no matter what we do, what we both create. It's the mundane. The mundane it's the, it's ordinary, the ordinary, right? right? it's it's the things that you're not putting on camera or you're not putting to the audience to present so i always understood that and that's why i didn't have this like how do you say this dreamy-eyed thing about you know hollywood or celebrities because it's like you just see the person or you see the reality of it and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's really like okay yeah the oscars you know come once a year and it's like oh great everyone's dressed up and wow we all you know are smiling and and but then you know like you know the behind the scenes like drama and people not liking each other and just all the high school bs right that is that is like los angeles culture so it was never i was never enamored by it in the way that i guess people who are outside of that might be and um and so for me like how has it changed i mean you know i think everyone realizes that hollywood has changed it's changed many times you know you think about the golden age of Hollywood when stars were first created and you think about like the stars of the thirties and forties, you know, the, the Cary Grant's and the Clark Gables and, the and Gary Cooper's right. And, and, uh, Marlene Dietrich's and, and, uh, yeah, you know, the Hepburn's, you know, both Catherine and Audrey, and it's like all these different stars and you're thinking like, man, I mean, the stars that, like the '80s, became like a big thing for a while. We're still living with those stars, you know, the Tom Cruises and the, you know, Harrison Ford's and Mel Gibson's and stuff like that. But you know, you know, we're not in a place where people are like they're young stars anymore. No, like we've gone, we've lost that that uh, worship in a way. And I think it's a positive thing. Like we've lost in the sense that oh, you know, this person is larger than life on the big screen. We are now in a different place when it comes to watching things more in a streaming capacity. You know, we're watching you know, YouTube next to some Netflix show, uh, Mm -hmm. next to your TikTok story next to your Instagram. (laughs) So you understand like there is no, you're not putting people on pedestals anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there's, there's, that's uh, great because now it's bringing the power back to to us as individuals to to say say like, Hey, you have your own show. show. I have my own own show. show. You know, 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 we we can be influencing influencing thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people. And, you know, we don't have to be stars in that, like, traditional sense, but we still can have influence and they can be meaningful. So that's how I see a, a major aspect of the, the transition from that, you know, heyday of movies to, like, now where people don't even go to the movies, really, <laughs> or, like, occasionally, you know, go to the movies, right? But not nearly what it was when you didn't have, you know, everything available at, at a click of, your, of a button on your screen.
0: So do you actually think that that's a positive thing? the way that it's transitioned, do you think? Do you see that as a, a positive move forward? Or do you think that all of these, because I mean, the, just the way you describe it, it sounds like, you know, being able to all of us be influencers is, is a good thing. However, we're also seeing some dark stuff coming from that well, with the children, right? Like, it's, well, it's me, always it's been, been there.
1: It's always, it's always been there. I mean, the thing is, like, you go to Shirley Temple talking about one of the executives, like, whipping out his penis right? when she was a little girl, right? Yes. I mean, that's just one, I'm sure, of, hundreds of thousands of stories or, um, or however many stories yeah. of kids who've been sexually harassed assaulted mm-hmm. um and and also women you know obviously you mm-hmm. know uh, female actresses who are not underage but just or even male actors who are you know sexually harassed you know by by homosexuals or like what you know vice versa it's just, or by females women and women executives who sexually harass them young male actors so it's not like it's just one me, female or male or child or not it's like it's it's a it's an industry of you could say like of excess and and perversions and um you know Hobby weinstein is sort of yeah one of many but obviously you know very indicative of of how that industry operates and or at least you know used to operate i don't know i don't know i mean it's who knows what's what's real <laughs> <laughs> but um the point is that uh,
0: what is yeah, real
1: what is real i mean it's just you know everyone has a everyone has a different experience of reality so uh, when we're talking about like the positive of not having this star culture anymore i think there is um, there's a positive to it in the sense that they were false stars mm. right false idols and i do believe like there is this empowerment of everyone to sort of say like, what's, what's your voice, right? What's your individual voice, talent, perspective, right? Honoring and owning that. And then I think, you know, we can, you know, you can have people that you consider like, oh, that person's doing great work. They're amazing. You know, to me, like I really resonate with them. Right. And, um, I think, you know, that's beautiful. So it's not about positive or negative, it's just the transformation in, in collective consciousness. Like, and we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't think movies are going to like die completely completely here. here. I do really feel that there's still a space for wanting this communal engagement the same way that, you know, you still go to the opera occasionally you've got it in your city or you the musical, right. Or the play Mm -hmm. film house. It's like, these are great places to go and commune and enjoy something together. Um, and then I think there'll be new technologies and new new ways of telling stories that will come out too in the future. So it's always just it's always just transitioning. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's like it's just transitioning as consciousness shifts as technology reflects. Consciousness
0: shifts. You speak of consciousness, and I, what I noticed, Sean, when I was waking up to this whole dark agenda that <laughs> we've been living, I guess under a part of whatever and. I noticed all, I went back to all these films that have been created, like V for Vendetta and Contagion. And it's like, and it's even in like all these other TV shows where they've been showing us what is in store for us, what was coming. And to me, we never really saw that. Like, I know I didn't. I know many have been awake for a long time. I never, I watched those movies and I was super intrigued and thought, oh, wow, that's a scary thing. But what they were doing was preparing our consciousness, right?
1: It's different, you know, it's you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard, to, hard know. to know. It's hard to but know for sure the, the intention, right? right? You, you know, know it's, it's, difficult it's difficult to it's ascribe to agency, agency to people if you don't, don't know their consciousness, consciousness, right? right? Mm-hmm. Their level of awareness when it comes to these things. I mean, I've definitely observed over the years, like people point out things in movies, right? Like mm-hmm. Back to the Future has indications of 9-11, yep. right? And The Matrix also, like Neo's Pax 4 expires on 9-11, 2001. And there's all kinds of like little things like that. And you're thinking like, Oh, the director knew. It's like, did they, did the director consciously know? Or was it, or, or was it really more just like an intuitive thing? Or were they, was the production designer or someone in particular, you know, basically like in more in the know and like, or, or were they just tuning in to collective consciousness? Because, you know, again, it's, I think everything is knowable. I think everything is knowable if you're, if you tune in and you're like, and you have intuition and you have, uh, A sense of like your mission again it's like agency right what's actually working through any of us we don't know we don't know all the forces all the the entities and things that that are working through a human being right a single human being um so you know to me i just i don't like to get in too much into like you know they were preparing you like if there was evidence of like you know a cia operation to like You know, make a movie like Contagion, for example, example, which is the script. It's the entire script for for 2020. It's identical. Yeah, (laughs) down to like, no (laughs) one wants to treat anybody. There's no mention of treatment. All they talk about is wait for the vaccine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the guy that's trying to treat people is arrested. As you know, even though he's the one that's a conspiracy theorist that's actually saying like, "Well, how do you know the vaccines are even safe?" Even though they won't like they won't harm people or, 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 you know, harm people in the long term. Uh, and then he's arrested. <laughs> so mm-hmm. everything is kind of like, hmm, if I was like a CIA playbook, that would be a good one. But again, without the evidence, you really just don't know if that just came from someone, you know, who basically was in the know to some extent of the planning that's gone on. Because all these things are planned, you know, they're always mm-hmm. having planning. So mm-hmm. you always have like, you know, the Rockefeller put out the uh, lockstep document, and that was amongst many, uh, you know, gaming scenarios, right, where they're just running, okay, what happens if you have a, a
0: coronavirus
1: outbreak or a, a swine flu that's really, you know, mutated and deadly? And like, you, you know, this is normal, right? If you're part of that, that government class or, you know, government slash merge with the nonprofit corporate sector, right? that's ultimately, ultimately like, like okay we're guiding up. humanity we believe that we are in charge we are the social engineers and our prerogative is to like game everything out mm-hmm. so when you're gaming things out you you're you're obviously thinking ahead and you're you're predicting things and at the same time like when you put out a movie you are then in a sense you're responsible energetically for, for for what that film is, right? So let's say it's a film or a TV show. If you put out something that, that perpetuates fear into the collective consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. The collective consciousness can manifest those monsters. If you put out something that perpetuates more awareness and joy and love, the collective consciousness, I believe, can also manifest that. So to me, there is and has a long time been a this sort of dichotomy and this problem between dark and light Mm -hmm. within within the storytellers where you know a lot of these storytellers and and filmmakers and whatnot are not necessarily putting out things that are uplifting the collective Mm -hmm. consciousness and the collective Mm -hmm. vibration they're more interested in playing into the lower chakras right of you know does does basically uh desire for self-abandonment, uh, mm-hmm. let's say, and, and loss uh, of, of, of self, self. Yeah. Um, anger, fear, right? Uh, and at the same time, you know, but there's also many great films and stories that you're like, wow, that really did elevate, you know, my being and brings me to a a higher vibration. So, again, it's, it's like it's difficult to, um, you know, to say it's all – dark, where it's all light. There's always light in the dark, and there's always dark in the light.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I just, for me, my I only woke up two years ago, <laughs> a year after COVID started, so my awakening was really harsh. I took it really hard, but it led me to my spiritual awakening, which was so powerful, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, and I know that um, I do want to talk about your awakening as well. But I want to go mm-hmm. back. To, I just find this so interesting that we watch all these shows, like even The Simpsons. I mean, we, there's so many things online right now that are, The Simpsons were telling us that all this was coming. <laughs> like it's, and I know that that's not necessarily um, like, you know, where you were. But even in all these films, there, there's no coincidences, right? But I, I really loved how you spoke to that because there is light and there is dark in everything. And we are shifting into light now which is beautiful and we can see it, but we're all, we are struggling, Sean, especially the ones, people in Canada, I've had friends go to the U.S. and visit and they have said that the Americans are more aware, they're more awake. So in Canada, we're struggling because people here are just so nice and they just want to get along and they just don't want to ruffle any feathers. And like, it's, it's been a challenge. Um, What's been your experience through this whole, uh, not just, I mean, your spiritual awakening as well, but the awakening itself to what is really going on in this world. Yeah. And how's that I going mean, to impact you as a director and an actor and an author? Well,
1: I mean, you know, your your, your life is your, is your work of art, right? So mm-hmm. wherever your interests are at, at a certain period of time, that reflects what you're working on, what you're learning about, right? Um, what you're becoming. You know, to me, like, there's no... Again, like just speaking of like destiny and how, like, you know, everyone is tuning in to basically a certain frequency uh, to fulfill their, their role in the overall oeuvre, right? It's grand oeuvre, this, this great work of art that is this world. And each of us is playing a role. So, you know, we're called based on our vibration and where, you know, where we fit. In the same way, like an actor is called into like a certain role. And it's like, oh, that person is just resonant, energetically resonant with that role. Mm-hmm. Likewise, like we're doing the same things in art in our lives and where we're born. And you know, none of this is by chance. I mean, people have to understand if you're talking about like awakening, like you have to understand that this is, this whole thing has been scripted for us to awaken at this time. It has literally been like, you know, this is all preconceived. And so there's no coincidence that, like you're born in a certain place. It's not by accident. No, mm-hmm. you were chosen for this land, for this time, for this space to do this work. And, um, you know, it's like you talk about Canada. So, so Canada's problem is basically, it's still part of the British empire. It's never asserted, the Canadians have never asserted their, their independence Mm -hmm. from the British empire, the way that the Americans did with their declaration and the fundamentals of the constitution, basically with with its bill of rights in particular, you know, ascribing inalienable rights to, you know, to us, that we are given rights by the creator, not by a king. The king doesn't have sovereignty to give to us, like some some illusion of, of sovereignty based on a social contract. It's like no, no, no. The creator gives you inalienable rights. You, have, you know that's that's it. And once you start putting words in front of it, like human rights or animal rights, you're already limiting the scope of your rights. <laughs> and that's what they want to do constantly. They want to they want to limit you, based on the language and the, the legal structures. So it's like Canada is all about the social contract. So. Yeah, if I do this, then you do that. And it's like, that's like some Kantian thing, right? Where it's like, you basically, uh, you know, every, everyone should behave the way that I want to, the way that I behave. And it's like, no, that's not how life works. I have the right to behave the way I want to behave. You behave the way you want to behave. And until I trespass on your right, right, on your existence, mm-hmm. on your property, right, then I have the right to do to do as I wish, right, until I trespass, until, until I, I take, take which is not that which is not given me. to me. Right. Um, and so this whole like social contract is how they've screwed people's minds up
0: mm-hmm.
1: because because especially with the virus. So I, I knew this was coming because like I did a short film on it, uh, Singularity back in 2008. And we understand like it was based on the whole thing about the surveillance state and how I was already watching like by that, by 2008, it was clear that we had a, a total surveillance state coming via the NSA, but this was already known. I mean, we already knew the NSA was spying during the, Patri- the Patriot Act and the whole War on Terror was justification for encroachments into surveillance. And like, once you understand what the internet was was doing as far as its relationship to government and how they were monitoring, um, it was like, okay, so you're going to create a total surveillance apparatus, but ultimately you're going to you're going to want a, a, an artificial an artificial intelligence has to run it. You don't have the manpower to actually sit there and monitor. You know, it's like Big Brother is probably—it's uh, like an AI has to be running Big Brother because you don't have the manpower to sit there and watch millions of people, right? Hundreds of millions of people. Who's the manpower to do that? So you need an AI to basically take that and start to create algorithms based on patterns, right, of behaviors and things like this. So my my short film was just like, okay, you have an AI surveillance system and a plague is basically the justification for the AI surveillance system to monitor and make sure if anyone was sick, what was called infected, they'd be taken away. Because they can infect someone else. Right? It's the it's the easiest to me it was like it was this is the easiest way of destroying any notion of of individual rights, bodily rights, right, is the virus. Because it's something that you can spread to me. Mm. <laughs> and then our metaphor in the film was well, a thought is like a virus, like a meme. This is before memes, right? We're like, oh, it's basically a virus. You're carrying a thought
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you're infected. So how do you know that you're being taken away because you have a virus or is it because you have a thought that was deemed dangerous by the state, right? And so all these things are under. Like, how do you say? So I didn't make that short film because I knew of the ad- I knew the exact agenda, but I could just see things coming. And that's why I say, like, Wow. When you, st- you just like stop and intuit and reflect, you're like most things are, are are you can perceive if you're, if you allow yourself to just get out of your own way mm-hmm. and just see what is the trend? What is the pattern? What's going on here? Right. And obviously, you know, if you really get into a heightened state of consciousness, you can connect to a, to a much greater vantage point, right? Like a bird's eye view, as opposed to where most of us are, right. We're limited by our, our time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as far as this, this idea that like we can infect others, this was the basis right, for the whole, you must take a shot, you must put on a mask, as opposed to, let's invert that. How about, you are responsible for your own health. You are responsible to build up your immune system. Yep. No one else, else, and that's, that's, the, that's, that's the whole the point. point. If you can get back that's to that notion of, of sovereignty, 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 which is really what every human has the right to... Mm-hmm then it's like each of us is our own king and queen. So what does the king do? If I want to defend myself, I build up my defenses. I build up my castle. Okay, your castle is your body. Your body is your temple. Build that up. Yeah. Okay, now you have protection. But it, it, but if you're if you're in a feudal system, you don't have any walls. You don't have any rights. Oh, we can just run over. We can run over here and take you out. That's their whole ideology. They want people to think that they're feudal, that they're slaves. They don't want people to think of I'm a king and a queen, I can defend myself. I can build up my, def- my fortifications, right? Mm-hmm. Well, king goes around and says, well, I don't want to have an army, or I'm not sure if my army's strong, so everyone else, no one else can have an army. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. basically what they're telling people. Yeah. They're telling people, yeah, I don't know if my immune system works, so you have to get the shot, and you have to get the shot. You have to put on masks. Yeah, It's like, No. Your responsibility is your body, your immune system, to take care of yourself. If you cannot do that, then there is a problem with how you how you to interface with not just society, but with the entire world, with nature, with anything.
0: Sean, in Canada, here we had mandates that lasted at least in Alberta. I'm not each each province kind of handled it a little differently, but about six months where we couldn't those who chose not to get the shot couldn't go anywhere except the grocery yeah. store. And I always thought that was really interesting how I could go to a grocery store and like a Home Depot, you know, those big, or a Walmart, but I couldn't go into a public arena. I couldn't go to a movie theater. I couldn't get on an airplane, et cetera, et- restaurants. You know, it was absolutely insane. Like it was, I just, it blew my mind that the public wasn't seeing that. I don't know what it was like in the States, but it, I just thought to myself after a while, how ridiculous this was and where did they make up this 6 feet apart thing like
1: <laughs> well it's like 6 feet apart is really interesting because what is 6 feet when you're buried it, you're buried 6 feet under so it was it was all death i mean the whole the whole thing was death people understood the masking was very obvious as if you think about it a dead person cannot speak the dead have no right to, the dead cannot speak that's the difference between living and dead right when you're Live, you're breathing you can speak when you're dead you cannot speak when you mask you are in every symbolic weight. you're dead it's like in a courtroom if you they put a mask on you or a gag on you you can't speak
0: wow i never even thought about the six feet under and how it would like literally silencing all of us
1: you're dead you're dead because you don't have the right to speak and the and it's really it's it's like oh it's so clear like it's just like being in a courtroom you're basically you're you're complete, you're no longer have have any life you no longer allow you know but even the court well court courtroom itself has all kinds of problems it's all underwater you know the, the whole system is maritime law so it's all it's basically this whole maritime legal system to me is coming to an end that's really why mm-hmm. we saw what we did with 2020 it's like mm-hmm. this is the, this is the this is the culmination of the maritime system right. Those are dead souls that are lost at sea that are basically drowned, they're dead, they're they don't have life and those that said, Wait a minute, I'm I'm ready to go on land, I'm ready to be sovereign.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's really what happened. We had this completely really, like the tearing of people away from each other to say, Okay, who's who's dead and who's alive? You know, like in those when those games when you're a kid and you're like, you know, you have to close your eyes and it's like you know, mafia or something like that, like, Okay, you're dead, you're alive, you're dead, you're alive. <sighs>
0: It's funny when you say when like when you see it you can't unsee it, right? Like it's it's everywhere. So that leads me into the whole becoming more conscious or awakening and for me yeah, we woke up many of us woke up to the agenda that was that we were seeing but um or experiencing but most of us also woke up to a spiritual awakening and personally I literally found God and it's not that I didn't believe in a higher power a creator, something bigger than us. But it was so overwhelming for me. And I was physically ill in the beginning. I was uh, emotionally not well. So I needed something. I really, really needed it. And I was very guided towards our creator. And and then I began praying. And um, like many of us in this awakening, we've shared our, these similar stories. And again, it was just really powerful for me. And I, I've read that your... Um, you've had an awakening, probably. I'd like you to speak to that. But when that happened for you, because I love your story about your awakening, what inspired that for you?
1: Well, the truth is, I've had many awakenings, um, and you know, even more so. I don't even know that I was ever really asleep. But I think it's like how do you say? Well, I look at this. I look at this life as, as sort of a dream state. And there are moments where you kind of like you're more lucid and you're like, Oh, and then you kind of go back to sleep. Right. And, and then you go into like a more unconscious state and you're just operating and you're just doing things. And then you kind of like come into like a more conscious state and it's like, Oh, you know, you're being in a dream state is sort of, it's watery, right? It's, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's difficult to kind of, you know, how do you say it? it's not as concrete. And so, to me, this reality has always been a type of dream state. Um, but in terms of the, the the first awakening process, I think you're asking about is when I was in uh, went to Tibet and Nepal as a kid, and uh, you know, India. And so, you know, my dad took me there to uh, to visit. Um, you know, uh, where is it? Like, we went to the Ganges and obviously uh, uh, saw the different you know traditions from some of the Hindu traditions and. We also went to visit where uh, the deer park, where the Buddha uh, was said to have found enlightenment, and then, you know, we went to uh, uh, Nepal and the Himalayas and to Tibet, and like that was a very beautiful trip. And I think the main aspect of that trip was sort of a uh, a distinct moment because I was ten years old, and you're you're switching on something that's like, okay, remember this is not. Reality is not one thing and it's not a material reality. So it's not just, you know, the density of like the American consumer material, consumer culture, right. That wants to possess. And, you know, at that time I was a kid coming out of childhood into, you know, it's like that demarcation between childhood and adolescence, 10 years old is like kind of a bridge because you're no longer playing with toys and, you know, you're kind of at that place of like, okay, what's life about? Right, so I think it gave me a certain perspective, broadened perspective, of the spiritual nature of reality, and connecting to that and remembering, like you know, just the contrast, the extreme contrasts of this world, right? From you know the the the, the material wealth and decadence to like people dying, you know, children dying in the streets from starvation, right? Like. St- That understanding, and then understanding there's there's a bridge. There is there is this is still one world. There is, you know, even though we're very divided and polarized, there is still a connection. And uh, so there were a lot of things that came through at that time period.
0: That's amazing. I, I I've always wanted to go there. So when I when I read that about one of your first, I guess your first awakening at a young age, I was just like super intrigued. Tell us about any other awakening that really impacted you.
1: I mean, like, uh, tremendous,
0: tremendous, tremendous impact.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, uh, another big awakening period, you know, because, again, there's like different yeah. different things that that open your eyes. But yeah. Like I was, you know, I would say like 2009 to I would say late. To, it was really a 2000. Nine was like the opening but it was like a three-year cycle 2009 2012 that was like a big shift three-year cycle uh that was part of my like ended with my Saturn return cycle in astrology and so it's like that was a powerful time period because I was doing a lot of uh exploration of like haunted spaces uh ghost hunting I made my first film on that time period graystone park which was uh about you know my uh Experiences, uh, you know, with this mental hospital, abandoned mental hospital, but also was a lot of experiences. You know, a lot of different places that we were exploring, and just energy, and understanding the energy of of life. That life is purely energy, and it's not material. So when you start to really feel that and know it in your being, then uh, you start to really how do you say to shift your perspective and recognize? Oh wait, I'm a soul. I'm an emb- basically I'm a soul that's embodied in this. You know, appearance of illusion, but I'm a soul, and I'm a living soul, and I need to connect to that soul and to my source, right? My my creator, my source, because that's what energizes the soul. And if I don't protect the soul, none of none of this material stuff matters. If I sell my soul, if I discard my soul, if I compromise my soul, like it's all weakening my energy. So all these this was like a very interesting time period of connecting to that that understanding of the energetic body. Right. And, uh, yeah, that was, that, that was really uh, a powerful shift in in my, uh, in my Like from studying it to kind of starting to embody it. more.
0: Right. Wow. We could talk about this for hours. This fascinates me. Um, (laughs) I have to ask you here to end this. What would you like to share with our audience here in Canada? if there's a piece of advice or something that you just want to, it could even be spiritual, anything that you want to share with us to enlighten us, to give us hope. (laughs) We're going through a really, really difficult time right now. And, you know, any, any words of wisdom that you want to share with us?
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, it's such a beautiful land, right? And there's, um, there's like a cleanness, that you can feel like to the energy in Canada. And I think that the spirit is clean and there is something like wholesome to the people. It's just that you got to get yourself clarified in do you want to be sovereign over your mind, body, spirit, over your life? Or do you want to basically be in a feudal style of social contract, right? A feudal system where, okay, I'm allowed to do this if you do that. And then, you know, if you tell me to, I can't do that anymore. I mean, that's all feudalism. So really, it's just like, do you want to be? Do you want to embrace the, the natural world that, that you know that you that Canada has so much amazing nature, right? I mean, it's just it's such a beautiful land. And you know, can we get back to that primal sense of like being a, an a, an individual living sovereign spirit that has respect for others? Absolutely. You know, being Sovereign does not mean you don't respect others. It's living with honor and respect. But it's also honoring, and respecting yourself first and foremost and loving yourself such that you don't allow people to take away your rights because the communals decided that those rights are no longer necessary. They're, they're not important today.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Right, right. That's great. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been such a pleasure Perfect. speaking with you. Again, I could... I could pick your brain on so many different things. And I I, I really hope one day I can get down to uh, Florida and and meet Mm -hmm. you in person and give you a big hug. I really appreciate everything you've done that you're doing and continuing to do. And I send you lots of love and light moving forward in your career.
1: I appreciate that, Jamie.
0: Thank you, Sean. And if you would like to see more interviews like this, you can go to our website, canadiansfortruth.ca. Thanks everybody for watching. Take care.